Hello, fellow deadbeats. It's Gabby Dunn, and this is season five, baby. We made it to season five. This little show about money has grown into a full-fledged toddler. We should all be so proud. Okay, deadbeats, no friends. After five seasons, we are friends now, aren't we? I mean, we've come a long way. You've heard me fight with my parents. You've heard me call my bank. You've heard me talk about my student loan debt. Uh, You pretty much know a lot of intimate details about me and my financial life. And after all that, you'd think that I'd be better with money. Okay, but listen, listen, I've got a lot on my mind. I am a little bit better. I'm 31 now and adult. And I keep thinking, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Buy a house, have a kid? I don't know how I'm supposed to pay for any of that. Also, Trump. And the 2020 election isn't making me feel like our national nightmare is over. If nothing else, these last few years have made me realize the kind of human I don't want to be. A narrow-minded American. An American who doesn't know anything about the world outside the United States. Someone blindly patriotic or someone resigned to the way things are here because it's the way things have always been. So the first step this season is to look at money. Not just look, but actually see money for what it is, or what it means to me and other real people, to understand its value. If I can figure that shit out, maybe, just maybe, I can start to figure out what's worth investing in to build the life I want. I feel like without knowing very specifically what's important to me or what makes me happy, then yeah, of course I'm going to keep feeling like I don't know what the fuck to do with money. Please leave your message. Honestly, having money means I wouldn't be a burden on my family if I get sick. To me, the value of money is not having to stress out about what feel like little things like um, sandwiches or uh, subway passes and getting to do nice things for people that I love. I love my friends. I asked them to record a voice memo answering the question, what does money mean to you? Because let's be real. Where you are and the people you surround yourself with affects how you think about money. So the people I see most often are my friends who by now understand that I'm going to ask prying money questions of them all the time. Please leave your message after the tone. The way I view money is kind of based on how I grew up viewing it. My mom was working two jobs as a bartender and it kind of just meant what we needed to get by. So I think my relationship with money has never been about having so much of it. It's always been about having enough. To me, the value of money, namely having enough of it, means uh, freedom because then I don't have to worry about it and stress and can do the other things in my life that I'd rather be spending time on. Here are some things I believe about money. Money does not buy you class. You cannot dance with a dollar bill. And respect and talent do not have a dollar sign in front of them. When I was in sixth grade, just a tiny little straight-A student, closeted trans girl, I watched Scarface, as one does. And afterward, I changed my AIM away message to, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. 
Um, not sure about the women part, but money certainly gives you power. Okay, so money means all things and nothing at all. It's freedom, security, just something you got to get to get by. In the U.S. and to my American friends, it's the cause of concern over medical debt. It's power and sex. It's going on vacations and having brunch out on the weekends. In so many ways, whether or not we have money shapes how society allows us to live and to live with other people, our partners, our friends, our family. For most of us, money does affect our relationships, obviously. We've learned that thus far on the show. So what does that look like? How does how we think about money affect how we interact with each other? I really want to unpack some of this very American sociological wiring. So I'm going to call an expert. Yes. Hi, Hi. this is Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hello. Great to talk to you. Um, Will you uh, tell us your name and who you are and what you do? Yes. Uh, My name is Viviana Zalizer. And I'm a professor of sociology at Princeton University for many years, and I've been studying money for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm calling you because I want to better understand money, and you seem to be the person to talk to. Yes. So from a sociological perspective, like, how do you start to unpack how we assign value to money? Well, first of all, just to think about the connection between value and money mm-hmm. is is an important one because you know the, the the common sense assumptions and economist assumptions are that you know all that matters with money is uh, how much mm-hmm. you know that the, you know the all dollars are the same and it does not their their symbolic meaning doesn't really you know, amount to much. It's the quantity that matters. And what I've been trying to study are really the remarkable social and moral differences among our monies and how they matter to our relations. I mean, let me be very specific about those differences, you know, just to think about it. You you will tip a waiter, but not your friend, right? Okay, yeah. You, you may give your kid a weekly allowance, but rarely your grandmother or, or, and you, you know, you get, you pay your employee with a salary, not a, a gift certificate. And we care about those differences because if we make mistakes, uh, they, you know, sometimes it's funny, uh, but it will, you know, usually shock or offend us. So we, we, we put great meaning into having the right kind of money transactions for our different relations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is all very like Western culture. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I grew up in Buenos Aires in Argentina and my mother was French born and then I came here when I was 21. So I do, you know, I, many of the things that I observed on uh, American money was probably influenced by the fact that I was, uh, you know, seeing it at least initially as an outsider, and you see things differently. The the stereotype of American culture is precisely that, uh, you know, money is central to American culture, right? Mm -hmm. And, but what is interesting is that, in fact, we worry, uh, people worry a lot, not only here, but here also, that 
precisely that money's centrality means that everything's up for sale, right? That, you know, that, that money will corrupt, that money will necessarily, uh, you know, tarnish how we find spouses, how we make babies, how we care for children. Of course, money often corrupts, and, uh, and we should worry about the wrong and ugly uses of money. But I think that this is, this is part of how we need to understand money, that it can also sustain, as we know, <laughs> I mean, once you say it, it's obvious, as it, it, it can sustain and enhance daily lives, right? And, mm-hmm. and we incorporate money in relations in ways that strengthen rather than destroy ties. You know, couples manage household budgets, they give, uh, you know, parents subsidize kids' college education, you know, sometimes right. too well, as we've discovered recently, <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about the good ways of subsidizing it. You know, friends, you loan each other money. And, but it's very interpersonal in it, a positive yeah, and, and way. And that it can sustain ties. You know, the idea is that money is, is you know, the common sense idea is, you know, once you bring in money, everything gets destroyed. And it's, and it's a very powerful trope. And, it, and as I said, it does happen, obviously, but it's important to understand money more broadly, broadly and see, well, in, in, in what situations does it actually sustain ties? Is there any aspect of human behavior that isn't affected by money or, or our value of money? Probably yes, yes, yes. We're we're, we're it, it, it's it's not it's a it's a good question, uh, and I would imagine that not I imagine I it, not everything involves money relationships. They mm-hmm. may or or at the, to the same degree. That's the thing. You know, some 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 sentimental connections have really uh, are. are only secondarily affected by money. What do you mean? The issue, well, the central issue, for example, could be, uh, you know, where do you love? Where do you love to live? By geography, right? Or by time? You know, how much time do you want to spend with somebody? What other? family connections you have that might make your particular sentimental connection. And, and of course, probably money comes into that, but it does not become, it becomes background rather than foreground. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Okay. I really appreciate you talking to us. Okay. Bye. bye. Okay, of course, this is a big conversation, as are many of the conversations we have on Bad With Money. How we think about money worms its way not just into how we interact and into our relationships, but also what we think our daily lives can and should look like. What's a valuable use of our time? What's worth saving our hard-earned money for? And what's a worthy investment of our tax dollars? But I meant what I said earlier. I don't want to be a typical American about this. And part of that's not being limited to a fully American perspective anymore on this show or in my own life. So this is where I turn to you, my distant friends around the world, my international deadbeats. I ask you, what does money mean to you? Hi, Gabby. Uh, It's Ola and I'm from Poland. Uh, And I feel like Polish people don't really care that much about money. I mean, it's obviously important nowadays everywhere. But we value just family time more and just 
pleasure, pleasures like activities other than work. That we are not usually workaholics. Um. Also, we don't like to spend that much money. Um. We we value uh, just saving as much as we can. Um. So we are, I guess, kind of cheap people. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lou and I'm from Sweden. And I'm sorry if this gets quite political, but when I've been listening to Bad With Money, I've been struck multiple times about how strange the US is compared to Sweden. Sure, we have a lot of the same issues in society and it, when it comes to the economy, like racism and sexism, etc. But the different ways that the Swedish and American welfare state functions is baffling to me. Here we have universal healthcare and college education is free. The state covers things like sick leave, parental leave and welfare if you get laid off work. To get all of this, we pay about 30% of our incoming taxes, a bit more if you earn more. The idea is that if the system helps as many po people as possible, then a majority of the people will support it. I'm not saying this is perfect. I'm not saying there aren't flaws in the system. And I'm definitely not saying that everyone supports it. But when you're raised in that system and with it, that idea, it's very strange to hear about the American system. Because the idea of the American dream seems to be so prevalent in the American society. But the system really doesn't support everyone making that dream. Hello, uh, my name is Karina. I'm from Kazakhstan. My parents were born in Soviet times. And they lost all of their savings, life savings, when they had the Soviet Union collapsed. Everything just burned down in one day, basically. So I feel like because of that, people in Kazakhstan are very uncertain about the money. Like, we don't save up. People trust less banks and the government because... There is a chance that you're going to wake up the next day and it forced nothing. The UK and the US view taxation very differently. It's super annoying to have 30% of your paycheck taken away. But at the end of the day, it's funding things we believe in so much, like a free health service. I kind of feel like every American wants to be really rich. Like the notion of the American dream that you too can be a billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates is not a thing so much in the UK. People want to have a good job. They want to be middle class, but they don't really want a Lambo. They don't want the red bottom shoes. I might be super generalizing, <laughs> but I kind of feel like in the UK, people want to live more within their means, more comfortable lives than the ostentatious lives of consumerism and glory that I feel like Americans are all chasing after. I mean, even the simplest things like you ask one another for Kleenexes rather than just the generic brand name tissue. Like, I feel like everything is led by the companies over there and it really is ingrained into your mentality. Whereas in the UK, we're much more like, yeah, we like stuff, but we like stuff a bit less than you guys. Okay, wait, 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 hold up. Let's just pause. I want to talk about that last one. We're all friends and I literally have no boundaries. So I can just call up my friends and talk about this stuff, right? Okay, so it looks like that last voicemail was from Andrea. Okay, I'm going to give her a call back. Hello? Hello, nice to meet you. 
It's nice to meet you as well. So you sent in a voicemail. Uh, where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Colombia. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm teaching English here for our nine-month contract. Oh, wow. Okay, so you have a lot of international perspective then. Impressive. What happened? My producer is telling me that she ran out of minutes on her Colombian phone. So let's try her again on another line. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Okay, we're back. Hey, hey, sorry about that. It's okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. We're back. Okay, so uh, so I wanted to talk to you about the voice message you left me because uh, it really struck me when you said that the American dream is to become really rich, whereas people in the UK just want to live comfortable lives. Um, do you feel like you got that impression from movies or TV or is there like American friends you have and you think that, you know, you've, you've realized that you guys think about money differently or where do you think that comes from? Um, I think, I mean, I don't have any American friends. I think my impression of the American dream has come from TV, movies, uh, music, just even, I was thinking quite, uh, vividly of Home Alone where like, the dream is like the Trump style, loads of presents, or from like something like MTV Cribs, mm-hmm. where it's like really like lusted after to have this like massive home and like look at my five fridges. And I just thought in the UK, we've never had an equivalent of that. I think it would be seen as quite excessive. Like all of our politicians, their whole thing, even if they're really rich, is to pretend at least like they're like someone of the people, like a middle class person, because mm-hmm. that amount of wealth is seen almost as quite garish. Mm-hmm. Like, is that a difference in sort of attitudes about modesty? Or is it like the idea, because I was wondering if the idea of money is that in America, rich is successful. And in the UK, you kind of say that like middle class is successful. Mm, I would say perhaps we also think being rich is successful. But the difference is in the way that we show it, maybe, and also what we uh, are striving towards. Like, perhaps people do want to be rich, but they don't want to be, like, hyper-consumers. Like, they don't want as many gifts. They don't want as much uh, material wealth, even though they would want to live in the, perhaps a nicer area, have a nice house. But I do think for the general population, most people are after... Um, a comfortable standard of living. Whereas my impression, you could correct me if I'm wrong, is that most Americans don't just want the acceptable standard. They want as much as humanly possible. They want the MTV style cribs houses. They want like the Lamborghinis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that I mean, correct? I don't, I mean, I, I know, I don't know. I know that that's the stereotype. I think it really struck me, like, because I had never thought about it, that Americans are are trying to be just extravagantly wealthy. But I think that is, it did strike me as true. I mean, so wait, can you tell me about, like, in the UK, like, where you're from and, and what you do and sort of, like, how, or, or, like, are you sort of viewed as middle class, like, in terms of how you grew up thinking about money? Well, I had two working class parents. My mum is an immigrant from Colombia and my dad was the first of his family to go to university. So the way we thought about money was that it was like we could at any moment be poor again and so we had to be quite frugal with it and think of it really deliberately. 
like my dad planned his whole pension because he was so uh, concerned that he could slip back into poverty. Mm -hmm. So now he lives a very comfortable life. So they always just taught me to be very pragmatic with money because they've come from such a working class place. But I've always been middle class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you noticed a difference in how money works and people, how people value money in Colombia? Oh, yeah. As in people in Colombia don't have any luxuries for a huge amount. I live in Bogota, which is a city with massive income inequality. And people here go through like the trash on the street so they can take some to the recycling center and get perhaps $2 and that will get them their meal for the night and then they're asleep on the street. Like I've never seen the degree of poverty and homelessness that I've seen here. And I certainly feel like people don't, I mean, to leave the country is something that such a minority of people get to do out here. It's so funny. Like Los Angeles, where I live, has a huge homeless pop problem in population. And like, and it's just like really, really bad. And what you just described happens here in Los Angeles in America. Oh, yeah. I've never seen anything like that in the UK ever. Really? As in, as in not, not at all. Someone like someone going through the rubbish was like such a, a wake up call. Like I, I think you see homeless people, but I think there are quite a degree of services available to them, even though we do have a big problem with it. Wow. But like such a, such a systematic issue of people going through the trash. I've, ne I've never seen in my life. That's so common here in LA. That is so through trash. Yes, yes, they collect cans and they, yes, and they, they go through the trash and they uh, bring it to a place where they can turn it in for money. Um, and the wow. downtown of Los Angeles is like, I mean, there's just like full tent cities and stuff and everyone is trying to figure out like what kind of services could be available to those people. And like, you know, they, they ask the politicians to do something or to help and it's like a huge problem. Um, and it just like remains unsolved, probably because the housing is so expensive here. Um, but it's like a, you know, a, a basically like a travesty, but yeah, they have, you're talking about Colombia that way. That's what Los Angeles is, has. But I thought Los Angeles was a, a democratic, like stronghold. I thought there would be policies in place or something like that. California. Like a tent city. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> LA is, that, that it, is, is pretty liberal, but there's huge economic, uh, inequality. Wow, that tent cities, I instantly thought of the refugee crisis in Europe, like in Calais, that's what they refer to as a tent city. We don't, we definitely don't have that in the UK at all. Wow, that's crazy. It's crazy that we don't have tent cities. <laughs> the tent cities are what seems crazy. In Colombia, oh. the only tent cities that exist here are the Venezuelan refugees. If you wow. Google downtown Los Angeles, the <laughs> homeless, it's, it's so bad. It's so, so, so like heartbreaking and terrible you know, we're coming up on the 2020 election. And so part of why I wanted to do th this season five uh, as an international season is because everyone is always like, if Trump wins again, we got to get out of here. And part of me has noticed that other countries are just like way happier, living probably better lives. And I'm not quite sure why I've decided that the U.S. is the only place to live. Oh, 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 that's such a fun lens to do it through, I think. Although I would say there is, uh, you shouldn't fall into the trap of doing the grass screen on the other side because, I mean, we, in the UK we've got Brexit, so I'm sure people <laughs> have a bunch to say about that. But how negative that is? Why do you think I'm in Colombia, Gabby? I'm running away. <laughs> like <laughs> you're just like I need to get away. No, I know. I think we have, but that's also a trap I don't want to fall into because I think I, we have these ideas of 
um, other countries are as being so idealized. I think especially me, like I think yeah. about Holland and Sweden and Switzerland and I'm like, oh, so perfect. But like, I, I'm sure as I, as sure as I, I get more into what's going on over there, I'll realize that every place has its flaws. But right now I'm sort of just Absolutely. like, why do I live here? This is garbage. <laughs> I mean, I think that's an interesting thing to look into, like in, in terms of economics, but also perhaps things like having more money means you literally live longer. Like mm-hmm. the homeless people in Los Angeles are not going to live as long as you are. Right. And exactly. then even less so. I think Americans will live less long than people in Sweden. So Uh I I think that's really interesting. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for your voicemail and thank you for doing uh, uh, an extended interview with us. I appreciate it. No, don't worry about it. Um, I followed you when you did 100 interviews, so this is like mental to me. Oh my God. That is some... Oh no, we lost her. (laughs) Okay, First, Andrea is a huge fan. She was talking about a blog I used to write in 2010, and I can't believe anyone remembers that blog, so she is an OG. Also, please don't go looking for that blog. Second, we got to figure out how to do international calls on this show, especially now that it's our international season. So, now you know. There's a lot going on in my head. Getting my money on track, how to make a home, the horrific shit happening in this country... What do I want my life to look like? And it keeps making me circle back to, do I really want to keep living in the United States of America? Is that the best and only option? People here seem to think so, but as 2020 approaches, I'm not sure if I'm just being Stockholm Syndrome, pun intended, into believing this country is the place for me. So let's go on a journey. All season long, I'll be exploring what money means around the world. What's it like to work there? How much does it cost to live? What makes their economy tick? Who knows? Maybe I'll even find a new awesome place that fits my vibe better than this place, which doesn't fit my vibe at all. I'm technically freelance. I can live anywhere if I really need to. Thank you for listening to the first episode of season five of Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate and review us and be sure to tell all your friends to subscribe on Stitcher or wherever they find their podcasts. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns. Our editor is Andy Christens. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'll see you next week. Adios. Shalom. Bon voyage. Bye. Bye.